We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad on the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're re-watching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of He Knows You're Alone on August 29th, 1980. It was written by Scott Parker, directed by Armand Mastriani, and released by United Artists. Alternate titles previously considered were Blood Wedding, Shriek, and The Uninvited, which I actually think The Uninvited is better. The Uninvited is also already the title of a horror film. Well, is it? it is now. What It wasn't at the time, was yeah. it? Uh, it like, there was a, I think there was like a 1950s uh, The Uninvited. Oh, okay. And then they did a remake of it in like mid-2010-ish. There's also the weird George Kennedy The Uninvited where there's a mutant cat on board a cruise, <laughs> like, a, like a luxury yacht killing people. Is this like Death Ship 2? Kind of, because it's, it's George, George Kennedy. Kennedy. Yeah, because I, so, I wanted to do my uninvited uh, marathon where I watched the two, the, the original, the remake, and then randomly show this other, and then watch He Knows You're Alone, and then <laughs> it's just a joke that only you get. <laughs> um, I did find a draft for sale online though called The Uninvited. One of our Twitter followers at Doctor Butcher MD Two pointed out that director Armand Mastriani complained when the producers told him that they decided on He Knows You're Alone as the title. Isn't that like a tagline? Turns out it basically was a tagline, having already shown up earlier in the year in the future tense on a poster completing the rhyme scheme, Don't Answer the Phone, He'll Know You're Alone. So it was the, that was the tagline to Don't Answer the Phone, huh. and now it's the title for this movie. Well, how would answering the phone let anyone know let that you were alone? Know. There could be I other don't know. people in the house. There's no danger to answering the phone in that whole film anyway. Yeah, they, they aren't the same distributor, right? No. That was Crown International, I believe. Yeah, that wasn't who did this one? No, this was United Artists. Oh, all the movies are blending together. The film was originally set to be shot in Houston and produced by Samuel Z. Arkoff, who started 1980 at American International and produced on the AI titles Defiance, Nothing Personal, Gorp, and The High Cost of Living, and also The Visitor, which we'll be getting to later in the year. He also produced The Earthling and Dressed to Kill this year, but he wasn't able to locked down the money for this one and so the production was moved to staten island for half the intended budget and it was shot in 15 days from (laughs) and from script to final edit it only took six months to complete the film oh my goodness it was made on a shoestring budget of one hundred and fifty thousand dollars and made 4.9 million in total box office there you go so successful yeah we open in the woods where two teenage lovers are making out in the back seat of a car we see the pov of someone approaching the car and the girl hears something the guy, Dawn, shuts the radio off to listen. She worries aloud, Maybe it's my boyfriend. Suddenly branches crunch outside, and Dawn says if it is her boyfriend, he's going to break the guy's neck. The girl worries alone in the car and locks the doors to feel safe, but suddenly she hears a tapping outside and tries to wipe the window clean to see what it is. Instead, she gets out of the car and starts walking toward the sound when she finds Dawn hanging upside down from the tree, and I think his class ring or something like that yeah, some, some kind of ring is tapping it's tapping the window as he sw- as his body sways in the breeze i feel like from any vantage point in the car you could probably have seen his uh, yeah, hand <laughs> i think so uh as she screams a man with a silk stocking over his head jumps out to chase her and we zoom out to reveal that this is a horror film that people are watching in a theater within the film yeah, and it- really hilariously the footage quality drops dramatically because it's this terrible green screen yeah. that's got you know this really bad green glow around all the heads and like it's just very poorly matted yeah. in front of the film and so the movie within a movie has a much higher quality uh looking footage yeah and, and then when the girl stands up in front of the screen and like her hair is draping in front of yeah. it and it's just like this weird kind of blur that's around Yeah, there's it. like artifacting around her. <laughs> it's like if you try to cut someone out in Photoshop and just drag them across and put them on another photo without any kind of like, <laughs> you can just see like all the different colors of the background in her yeah. hair. Yeah. A girl evidently bothered by the violence announces to her friend that she's headed to the bathroom. She can still hear screaming coming from the neighboring theaters. She peeks through the crack in the stall 
to see water dripping from a bathroom sink and asks if it's someone she knows out there. Is that you, Ruthie? Which is like a recurring thing that happens in this movie where people try to like shout to see if somebody is there. And I'm like, this is a public place. Of course, there might be somebody there. And how weird is it to reply to you? Be like, no, I'm not your friend. Um, What are the chances that you and your friend both left independently of each other at the Mm -hmm. same time? She darts terrified out of the bathroom and crashes headlong into a woman coming down the theater stairs. She takes the seat next to her friend in the theater and says, somebody's following me, even though we've gotten no indication of that other than a few common bathroom noises in the bathroom. Her friend shushes her so she can hear the movie, and a man takes a seat behind them both. The girl asks her friend if they can just leave, and the man behind her slips out a big knife and at the screaming crescendo of the film plunges the knife into the back of the girl's theater chair. Through it and into her spine, evidently killing her instantly. Oh, because he like twists it too. Yeah, like that—that's the worst part. It's like I can't—I can't handle the twisting of the knife. <laughs> We're allowed to stab her in the back. Just don't twist. <laughs> don't it. twist it. <laughs> uh, We covered that in our Night of the Juggler review, that we're allowed to stab Richard as much as we want. (laughs) I don't know if the, like, did he know the scream? Was it just, like, convenient timing for the screaming? Was he he waiting for the scream, or did he know the movie well enough to time it with this scream? Because based on his M.O. for the rest of the movie, I'm I'm assuming he didn't know, and he just was following this person. I don't even know if he has an M.O. I'm very confused about that, but we'll we'll get to that Mm. later. Her friend tells her that the scene is over and she can look now before realizing that she has been stabbed and is bleeding all over her. We freeze frame on the friend screaming over the bulging eyes of the killer that we saw just at the moment of stabbing. In some of the reviews I looked up, people credit Scream 2 as having done an homage to this scene. And they basically say that it's like, oh, this is shot for shot from He Knows You're Alone. And it's really not no, it's that not similar. No. Um, other than a person dies in a movie theater. Well, during and a scary movie, yeah. and they take a trip to the lobby or the bathroom. Yeah, but I, I've heard people say it like, oh, the girl goes to the bathroom, and she comes back, and then she gets stabbed through the chair, and it's like, no, none of that happens in screen. Well, the guy goes to the bathroom. Right, and, and he gets stabbed through gets the partition in the bathroom. Yeah. But, so, it's it's not shot for shot like some people say. It is it is an homage, because Wes Craven was a fan of this film, mm-hmm. and and may have it may have inspired him in some way, but it's not like... You know, he just Gus Van Santed this whole scene. We follow the light on the top of a police car through the city streets to the theater. I was chuckling very hard. I know this is supposed to be like a dramatic scene of the police arriving, but I was just thinking of the naked gun and just picturing it driving through all these exotic locations on the way to, yeah. the, to the theater. <laughs> uh, the cops describe the attack at the scene. Weapon went right through the vertebrae, severed the spinal cord, and pierced the heart. <clears throat> Guy's an animal. I can't tell if these cops are disgusted or impressed by how he managed to kill this girl. Detective Len Gamble enters, and he's approached immediately by Detective Frank Daly. It seems Frank called him down here specifically. They speak with the witness, the friend of the stabbed girl, and she tells us everything we already knew, but then Frank adds that she was going to get married next week, and Gamble is instantly sure it's his guy, the guy he's been tracking down for years. I bet it's him. Oh, wait, wait. Jumped any conclusions. I mean, it might be a coincidence. Coincidence? Yeah. Yeah. So Frank says, there's something you're going to want to hear that she was getting married. And he's the one that called him. But then when Gamble goes, that's him. That's the guy. Frank goes, well, hold on now. Don't don't be so sure. It's like, but you're the one who called yeah. him. Yeah. You wouldn't have called him down here if that yeah, wasn't but, significant. Yeah. Why did, why did you want him to hear it if you didn't want him to jump to conclusions? Yeah. Well, and so this is the first time we establish that... He's the fiance killer. In theory, we have an M.O., but very quickly, we see that he does not follow this at all, and it doesn't make any sense to me that they keep thinking that this is the guy when bodies keep showing up if they think his M.O. is just killing about-to-be-married people. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. We cut to our killer in the backseat of a cab, and we fade to white to start a flashback from, I think, his perspective. Uh, He's wandering through a wedding or the wedding preparation, and he stumbles upon the bride in her dress doing her makeup, and she sees him coming in the mirror and addresses him as Ray. Ray, listen, I'm sorry things worked out the way they did. I didn't plan any of this. It just happened, okay? Now, come on, would you leave, please? And then suddenly he grabs her hard with a hand over her mouth and stabs her with the same knife we saw come through the theater chair. We fade back to the killer in the cab, 
And then we cut to a parking lot where Amy is kissing her boyfriend Phil goodbye for his bachelor party weekend. So now Amy is our new soon-to-be bride. Yeah, I was like, for sure thought that we were going to be following this bachelor party weekend. Two stories, right? Yeah, I was like, like, what's going to happen with this bachelor party weekend? That's got to be relevant. Yeah, I was paying extra close attention because I'm really bad at all these names of of multiple cast members. And I'm like, okay, there's this guy. Three identical guys. He's the boyfriend of this guy or of this girl. And that guy's the boyfriend of that one. And then like... We never see him again. And they, they don't even try to make it easy for us. It's not like there's a blonde girl, a redheaded girl, and a brunette girl. It's everybody's brunette, all six of these characters. Mm-hmm. And the three guys just look completely interchangeable. But then a school bus full of Boy Scouts come. I was like, <laughs> okay, wait. Are we following the Boy Scouts now? No. Like, like which, which They were just groups? on the bus that one of the guys took to this drop-off. Yeah. But he, but he's related to them in some way, like their teacher or their They're instructor his little brother. or something. Cause, cause All had, twelve of them are his little brother. Because he had them sing. Yeah, right. Wow. And so I thought that there was like going to be a, like a camp, and like we're going to follow like somebody to a campsite. At the now. very least, these kids aren't gone from the movie completely after this one shot, right? Oh, no, they are. Okay. It's a lot of unnecessary details. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and apparently on this bus full of children, no one noticed a strange man in black sitting in the very back. Yep. Phil asks Amy what she'll be doing while he's gone because he's already jealous of whatever she's going to do. And uh, she mentions that her friends Joyce and Nancy are going to be sleeping over. These are the girlfriends of the other two guys. And uh, Phil tells her not to let that shitty Marvin guy come over because fuck him. Yeah. Don't let me kiss that Marvin hanging around or I'll... Joyce and Nancy show up to drop off their boyfriends for the trip, and the guys convene at the back of the car to show off all the porn videos they're bringing to watch together? Yeah. I don't understand. Hottest pornos in town. And we pick up the women on the way. Mary? And Evelyn and Ginny. All right. It's going to be good. Hey, you guys, what's going on down there? Come on, let's get going. I want to get there before dark. All right. Oh, they're going to watch them with ladies that they're going to pick yeah, up? Yeah. yeah. One of them says they're they're going to be picking up girls on the way. Mary, Evelyn, and Ginny. So there's one girl for each of them. What the hell are they doing? Like, I thought even when bachelor parties were gross like this, the groomsmen just split the cost of a stripper. I, they're literally picking up three prostitutes to watch porn with for the weekend. Yeah. And and they're they're trying to keep it quiet, but when the camera pulls out of them like putting yeah. stuff in the car, there's two other women standing right next to them. Yeah. <laughs> they could clearly hear them. Back in Gamble's office, he's speaking with more witnesses from the theater stabbing. No new info, just that everyone started screaming when the victim's friend did, and we cut to the girls at ballet class. So that scene was totally pointless except to remind us that someone out there is hunting. Yeah. Uh, but we're at ballet. Joyce wants to know how much time is left because she's embarrassing herself. Uh, I don't know if it's on purpose, but Nancy seems to be looking directly into camera for this whole scene. <laughs> well, but also, once again, talking very loudly. Yeah. Like she's saying, oh, thank God, there's only 15 minutes left. Like in the, like the, the yeah, she's talking louder is right than, there. Yeah. <laughs> they take a five minute break on the floor and joke about their boyfriends. Amy's having second thoughts. Joyce says that she preferred her ex, Marvin. And Joyce seems to be trading back and forth between someone named Bernie for his money. I think this is one of the guys that left on the bachelor trip. And a professor who she's with for his body and also to help her grade. Darling, that's lust. Pure lust. Give me a break. (laughs) And then when we see the professor, I was like, really? Yeah. (laughs) That guy? Outside the ballet studio, they bump into the professor with his wife. And they have to play it off like they only know each other through class. He reminds them to study for an upcoming final. And Joyce jokes, you wouldn't give me an F now, would you, Professor? The two groups part. And the girls just crack up as they walk away. Like, still within earshot of the guy and his wife. Right. Amy heads to the fitting for her wedding dress. She passes a man parked by a broken parking meter, I think. I don't know yeah. what the point of this shot is. Yeah, because I thought he was going to like say, hey miss do you have a quarter or something like that like (laughs) no there's just a guy there who's cursing out a parking meter because then she almost gets hit by a car and i was like what happened yeah like what what is she in a trance like or was that not actually supposed to happen yeah i couldn't tell because she steps off that curb and that car comes slamming to a stop Yeah. yeah it definitely is too close for my comfort yeah like it's it's just a shittily coordinated stunt because he 
clearly almost hit the If crew. it was a coordinated spread. Yeah, that's true. I, I, I didn't even think that maybe it was on accident. Well, yeah, if this is like, only a $150,000 budget, then maybe, maybe they, <laughs> they didn't, didn't block, block the off road. traffic. <laughs> uh, she stops to look at herself in the monitors of a TV store, and she smiles and poses for the camera. But when she steps out of frame, she reveals the killer standing directly behind her from the perspective of the camera generating these images. And then the music gets all buzzy. Then we get this John Carpenter ripoff Halloweeny score for a second. <laughs> yeah, for a second, it's like through half the movie. Right, but <laughs> it's a, it's very brief here, but it comes back throughout. Uh, she pops into an ice cream parlor and orders a single scoop and a sugar cone. Nearby, two women eat melted ice cream because nobody on set knew you weren't supposed to use real ice cream for these <laughs> kinds of scenes. You use bananas. Yeah. We learned that. Uh, Amy notices a man outside staring creepily into the store and averts her eyes. She almost forgets to pay before leaving, and outside someone grabs her shoulder and spins her around, smashing the ice cream into his own shirt. He insists she has ruined the shirt. This is her <laughs> ex-boyfriend, Marvin. This stuff stains. It's like blood. No, it's not. It's chocolate. It doesn't stain. Now they get chocolate out. Yeah. See? <laughs> but it does, she does proceed to make it worse. She does, yeah. But... Uh, she's, she also seems very happy to see her ex-boyfriend Marvin here, uh, even though he's a total fucking creeper. She tells Marvin that she was being followed, and he jokes that her fiancé is keeping overprotective tabs on her, which is exactly what he's doing. Uh, they head back into the parlor to get some water for his shirt, and she asks, Oh, how did you find me? And he admits that he just asked her sister where she would be all day, so that he could find her whenever he wanted. Marvin tells her that Phil is an asshole, and this catches the attention of the women slurping ice cream soup in the corner. He accuses Phil of stealing her away, but she explains that she ended it because Marvin went away when she needed him. She asks if he came here directly from the morgue, which is apparently where he works. I'm guessing she would only ask this if she thought she could smell cadaver or something. Yeah. Because <laughs> otherwise it's out of nowhere. Or, to... or formaldehyde. Yeah, something. Was this guy supposed to be a red herring or something? Because they haven't hid the killer's face this whole time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did you just come from the morgue? Yeah. They got me on days now. The regular guy died. I gave him our best freezer. She laughs at his morgue jokes. He plans to study forensic medicine, and he begs her, again, not to marry Phil, and admits he can't accept her invite to the wedding ceremony. As she walks away, Marvin shouts after her that Phil has insanity in his family and that he is a closet, and we cut off there. He's a closet! He's assume, a closet. Yeah, he's a closet. <laughs> he's part of like a reverse Beauty and the Beast spell that turned furniture into people. I assume the former <laughs> <laughs> I assume the former is supposed to make us think that this the killer is related to Phil because he's like, Oh, he has insanity in his family. It's like, oh, is that his brother that's killing people? Like, what's going on? Yeah, I didn't read any of that into this. I thought it was just him trying to convince her not to marry the guy. Yeah. Amy heads to her fitting. And while changing, she asks the shop's owner, Ralph, if marriage is a mistake. He gives her the standard, it's good and bad line. He's also smoking a massive cigar in a clo woman's clothing store. Yeah, yeah. right? Everything and she's is making it very clear she doesn't like that. Well, not just right at this moment. Yeah. But everything is going to smell that way. Forever. Yes. <laughs> but it's not going to ruin your wedding picture, so who cares what the dress smells like? Amy gets the dress on, and Ralph puts some pins in it for alterations. While Amy changes out of the dress, she thinks she hears someone come into the store, even though we already know someone else is in there. Also, again, public place. Yeah. <laughs> why, are we, why do we keep worrying about there being people in these public places? After a few more creepy noises and music cues, Marvin pops his head through the curtain to her changing room while she's standing there in her underwear, and she shouts at him to go away, while laughing like it's a hilarious joke. And the store owner is apparently okay with this yeah. because they know each other yeah. or something. When I he pulls his head out, the Ralph winks at the kid that he just let stick his head into the changing room at his soon-to-be out-of-business wedding dress place. But, like, he knows that this lady is about to get married. He's selling her a wedding dress. This is mm -hmm. clearly not her fiancé. It's Why would in, he let him do this? It's not in his best financial interest for her to suddenly drop this purchase. As Amy leaves the store, Ralph is very suddenly attacked by our killer and stabbed with scissors. She somehow doesn't hear any of it as she's saying goodbye to him on her way out of the store. I'm really bothered by the fact that we have immediately dropped the special knife thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because we had this special switchblade in the first two killings that we saw and then... Or two killings? Yeah. Yeah. The flashback one and the one in the theater. Right. Yes. The first two killings. And 
now we're at scissors and pretty soon he's just gonna grab anything he has handy well i guess here on he just grabs whatever is handy like what's the point of establishing a cool weapon that you could trace to a particular person for some reason yeah and and it wasn't like ralph got the drop on him and he didn't have a chance and he just had to grab what he yeah what he could reach he they were just trying to theme the kill to the room yeah but the problem is also why is she asking ralph for marriage advice when he's just about to be a bride himself because doesn't this guy just kill people who are brides about to get married We've already <laughs> forgotten his whole motive. Mm. Right, right. We've immediately dropped that. I mean, I suppose... It's just marriage adjacent now. He could have been trying to go for her, and it would have been more convenient if she took this, if he took this guy out first. Mm. But it doesn't even seem like he tries to get to her, because there seems to be a period of time where she finishes changing and gets out of there, yeah. and it's not like he's chasing her. And so far in this movie, he knows you're alone only really applies to one of the two kills because the other one was in a very crowded theater. Like, it doesn't... Mm-hmm. She right. wasn't alone. Right, yeah. and here she's not alone. Yeah. She's got Ralph. But well, when she was alone, he didn't take advantage of that opportunity. And, and the opposite is also true. He does know when she's alone because he's watching her all the time, but he doesn't act when she's alone. Right. <laughs> so he knows when you're alone. And weirdly, that's when you're safe. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the tagline for this one. There, there's a premise for a horror film. Where you're only safe when you're alone. Huh. You can't be around other people. It sounds like contagion. Amy goes to church and stares at Jesus statues for a while. One of them's bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly the church organ makes a loud sound without anyone sitting at it. The reverend bursts in and recognizes her immediately. She shows him the statue and he explains, oh, that's just rusty water. He's been meaning to fix it. And then she points to the organ and he says, oh, no, that's just a ghost. No, uh, he has a cat that... Uh, apparently runs across the organ even though there was clearly no cat in the shot when the sound was made she speaks to the priest about her second thoughts on marriage and when he tries to calm her down by saying oh lots of people have second thoughts hell lots of married people regret it bitterly like that helps (laughs) he also says something to the effect of a lot of these people shouldn't have gotten married because they had second thoughts i'm just like yeah isn't that the exact opposite of the advice you should be giving her right now no i i think that he's He's actually saving her. Yeah, I think he's actually trying to say, you shouldn't do this. There's literally no character other than maybe Phil who wants her to marry Phil. Like, even her priest is like, nah, fuck Phil. (laughs) Go back to Marvin. (laughs) Amy gets home and locks her door before walking into a surprise party. I guess this is her bachelorette party. Seems shitty to do it as a surprise party because now, like, the whole rest of her day is dedicated to this thing that she didn't know was going to happen. Yeah. They also invited, who is this 12-year-old at the party? That's yeah. her sister. Is it her sister? Yeah. Okay. I was really confused by this. Yeah, it's her, Where it's are her, her parents? younger sister. Uh, they're alone somewhere. <laughs> I don't know. I think they mentioned at some point that they are not coming back until next week, but I just... Oh, maybe. Outside the bachelorette party, a man's shadow passes over the house. Joyce leaves the party and is presumably followed by the man with the shadow. But to no... To nothing, right? He follows her to the next location that okay. she's at. Yeah. Back in Gamble's office, Frank is sitting in Len's chair telling him about Ralph's murder, and Gamble does not give a shit because he's like, yeah, it's an old man. That's not what I'm looking for people, girls who are about to get married. That's who this guy kills. And then he's like, oh, yeah? It was a bridal shop. And he's like, holy shit, give me that. And he just yanks the paper (laughs) out of his hand like it was a bag of drugs. Again, we've done a terrible job of establishing, because at some point he says he's left, this guy left a trail of bodies. Mm-hmm. But we don't describe this at all to sort of yeah. establish that there was a pattern. Yeah, we kind of get something here in this scene after Gamble leaves. But that's really all we get as far as backstory to what this guy's done so far. Gamble is very certain that this is his guy and decides to head down to the shop. But Frank says, no, don't go because you might not catch the guy. Like, I don't understand what they're, the argument yeah. here is. He's like, I'm going to head down to the shop. And he's like, yeah, but what if you don't catch him? And he's like, well, I'm, I'm going to try to catch him. And he's like, yeah, but what if you don't? <laughs> it's like, aren't I not going to catch him if I don't go? <laughs> I will for sure not catch yeah. him. I don't, I I don't mean, know what the I dis- mean, maybe he'll turn himself in. I don't know what the disagreement is here. I, but I like how he also, like, he's like gearing up. But he just puts on like a really bad sweater. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, I really There's wanted to chill like, outside. Like, <laughs> I really wanted to like put put on like a leather jacket or like a something like cool, not like this really just practical sweater. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, but before he leaves, it seems like Frank offers Gamble a 36-hour head start. He's not going to report this murder <laughs> to anyone official until Gamble's had 36 hours to follow whatever leads he finds there. Luckily, uh, it takes him 36 hours to get to the yeah, crime scene. It, it's already daytime. How far away was this shop? After Gamble leaves, another officer enters the room and sits with Frank just so that Frank could talk to another person that isn't Gamble and say, oh, you know that bride from the killer's flashback earlier? And the other cop's like, yep. And he's like, yeah, that was uh, that was his fiance. Bum, bum, bum. Gamble's fiance was killed by the, the about-to-be wife killer. And his name's Ray. That's all we know so far is exactly what he looks like and that his name is Ray <laughs> and that he was a friend of Len's wife, apparently. Probably her but like, her ex-boyfriend. If this is uh, yeah, if this is an ex-boyfriend, wouldn't family members know this guy? Wouldn't yeah. you have a full name? Couldn't you then go find him and couldn't you'd you have also a picture of him? Notice and... the bloody guy walking out of the wedding <laughs> ceremony. I feel like you have a lot of information here to have not caught this guy yet. Yeah. Well, well, my assumption is that he's been dormant for a while because he says he's back. Yeah. And I was like, okay, so like he hasn't been operating as a bride to be killer for a while. Yeah. Uh I guess. I don't know what 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 signaled him to come right. out out of retirement. But he must have just been in hiding this whole time because right. clearly we know exactly what he looks like and his name. He's been hibernating. Amy and Nancy continue to chat over wine at her dwindling bachelorette party and she admits that she still kind of likes Marvin. So even she would rather be with Marvin. <laughs> Uh, Nancy admits that she kind of has a crush on a guy. She's noticed him staring at her every morning while she jogs. And Amy says, well, you should give the guy a chance to flirt with you. Joyce and the professor are at his house and they're chasing each other around the house because Joyce is refusing to have sex in the kitchen for some reason. (laughs) Joyce starts teasing him and plays hide and seek for a bit. And when she backs into a dark bathroom, we see a killer standing outside the window. The professor enters and she threatens to jump out the window until he runs across and slams it on her legs so that she's hanging out of this window out of the house. Yeah, this was pretty upsetting. Yeah, he's just tickling her legs while she's hanging half out of the house. I think on the second story at yeah. least. Yeah. Or maybe my hang up is just that I would be kicking the shit out of him if he was trying to tickle me. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> hanging out a window? Somebody is struggling. But eventually she's like, fine, we can have sex on the kitchen table. Like, that's literally all he's <laughs> trying to get out of her. Also, I, I would think you're trying to be discreet about this affair that you're right. having. So like your neighbors your, are like, there was a co-ed hanging out of your house earlier. Screaming about having sex on the coffee table or yeah. the kitchen table. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, he pulls her back through the window right as the maniac outside swings this knife where her throat was. Again, uh, she has nothing to do yeah. with getting married. Not like, about to get married. She's not the friend even, of somebody who's getting yeah, married? She That's knows all. A, a about to be married person. But, and she's not alone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the professor and Joyce have some sex, or they're about to, when suddenly she hears something and she worries that it's the professor's wife. The lights go out and the professor insists that it's a fuse. So he goes to check on it and he tries to fix it, but he burns out like another fuse on the on the same panel so he just walks away from it he's like ah screw this thing well it wasn't a fuse so i don't know what he was trying to fix yeah it was the killer cutting the power right but it, when he's looking at the box another thing explodes in front of him so he turns around and walks away uh when he gets back to the bed she's already dead she died off screen so he goes to sit with her and he's wondering why she's not making any sounds and then he dips his fingers into her pooling blood on the bed and he just stares at his bloody hand like hmm huh until eventually the killer shows up and stabs him repeatedly the next morning marvin surprises amy at her home at 7 a.m she had previously said to meet her at 7 not specifically 7 p.m., but that's what she meant. He brings a fish to doesn't, come see her. Doesn't he say that I just got off of work? Yeah. Which is why he showed up there, which is weird because he already just told her that he's on days now instead I of night. I think that was just part of the joke. Oh, that was a it's joke. day for night. <laughs> no. <laughs> Cutting that. <laughs> he brings her a fish because apparently he promised to bring a fish whenever he visited. And then he points at the tank and he says... Oh, I'm visiting you. And, and that's, that's a fish. It's dumb, Marvin. That's really dumb. But, and how uh, about you clean that fish tank? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's fine. Uh, Marvin begs her some more not to marry Phil. Uh, he tells his obnoxious backstory that he had a girlfriend that he pestered for sex. And when she said no, he gave up. And then he found out she says no to everybody at first. 
and then gives in, so he swore from that day forward to be an ultimate creeper and to never take no for an answer. (laughs) She walks away to make some coffee and notices the weird man in her yard again. Marvin goes outside to investigate and pretends to be pulled into a bush for a second, but he can't find anyone out there. Nancy comes downstairs hungover from wine, and Amy's sister comes downstairs hungover on cake. Amy invites Marvin to come with them to the carnival later today, and then Nancy and Amy's sister rush to the kitchen sink to throw up in unison. Gamble gets to the crime scene at the wedding dress place, and according to the subtitles at least, introduces himself as Gamble Boston Globe? I don't understand why he said that. Yeah, I was confused because I was pretty sure he was an investigator. He is. He's a detective. Okay. So I don't know why he says Boston Globe, if that's even what he says, but that's what the subtitles say here. I don't know if he's pretending not to be a cop. I don't know why they would let a journalist lift the blanket off of the corpse and inspect the crime scene alone, but it seems like he says Gamble Boston Globe when he walks in. The other man on the scene doesn't understand why they've been given strict orders not to touch anything or process any evidence. Gamble finds a scrap of wedding dress in Ralph's hand, and matches it to a dress on the rack, and he takes the contact info for the dress and leaves the scene. I feel like they would also have have an appointment on file for the last person that saw him alive. We see Nancy and Amy jogging through the woods, uh, and they notice Nancy's crush again. Amy says, why don't you go talk to him? So Nancy runs over to Elliot, as he will come to be known, and he extends a foot as she passes to intentionally trip her. too tired to scream oh. from the pain you just caused me. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, don't be. I stretched out an extra foot to make sure I'd trip you. Why'd you do that? That would seem the best way to meet you. Oh. My name's Elliot. Hi. How do you do? I'm Nancy. <laughs> I hate jogging. Oh, so do I. The rest of this role feels like a pretty typical Tom Hanks part. Yeah. But the tripping her is the only piece that I feel like doesn't work for me. It's a, it's a weird meat cute. Amy jogs by herself for a bit and it's creeped out in the woods and a stranger in the woods appears out of nowhere and narrowly dodges Amy on the path before jogging away weirdly. But this isn't really anybody. It's just another person in the woods. But it's the lady with the like T-Rex and arms. arms. Yeah. (laughs) So get your knees flexing and your arms T-Rexing. Gamble tells Frank he knows who the next girl is and that he will let the girl lead him to the killer. So he knows who this girl is, and he does not alert her right. of no. the danger she is possibly in in no any way. way, shape, or form. Nope. And has she is now un, unwillingly and unwittingly been used as bait for this guy? Mm-hmm. And he also doesn't tell Frank who it is so that they can right. stage backup. But he also doesn't get to her for like another half day or so. Yeah. Like actually, he never runs into her until. Until it's until too somebody late. calls it in and it's just like, oh, the girl you're looking for. She literally called, she called here and in. she'll tell so, you like, where to go. Just... Yeah, well, he was trying to follow her, uh, and right, she we loses do him. Yeah. Okay. Nancy, Elliot, Amy, and Diane—that's Amy's sister—wait in line for a ride at the carnival, and Elliot talks to them about how fear works. Most people do, actually. I mean, like to be scared. It's uh, something primal, something basic. Horror movies and the roller coasters and the House of Horror ride. I want to go on that next. <laughs> and you can face death without any real fear of dying. It's safe. You can leave the movie or get off the ride with a vicarious thrill and the feeling that you just conquered death. One hell of a first-class rush. Elliot tells them that based on the description that she's given of the large man that's following her, that it's a sexual hallucination and that he will only appear when she's alone, hence the title, I guess. He's a psych major, but eventually admits that he's still in his first class on the subject. On the ride, Amy notices the man, but he quickly disappears. Nancy and Elliot break off to head to his place, and Amy and Diane jump into a haunted house ride. And this is one of those really small haunted house rides that they have at carnivals, where it's literally just double the width of the cart when you get on it. So it really should just be like a 30-second loop. Yeah. Um, but they, they get into it and it's very lame. It's just a couple of dudes in costumes and a mannequin. And then they see like a blinking skull. But then in the middle of that there, they suddenly notice the killer's face flashing in the dark, which I think otherwise would just be a white light pointed at the wall. Yeah. Blinking, which I don't know why you would put that in a haunted house. They exit the ride safely. They survive it and they leave the park immediately. We see Phil trying to call Amy from his trip, and we can hear in the background the prostitutes are like, 
come on back. What are you guys doing? And it's like, I would have told everyone to shut the fuck up if I was there with a bunch of prostitutes at my bachelor party. Noted. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> next time I have a bachelor party, listen carefully. He seems very pissed off that he can't get a hold of her, even though he's <laughs> mid-sex with a prostitute, probably. Amy's little sister continues the barrage of people telling Amy to dump Phil and marry Marvin. <laughs> you really going to marry that turkey? I don't like Phil. Marry Marvin. I like him. He makes me laugh and he helps me with my homework. She mentions offhand that Phil's younger brother is an even bigger asshole than he is, which I thought was, again, he has insanity in his family. He has a little brother who's a huge asshole, and it's like, that's the killer, right? It's got to be the killer. But, spoiler alert. <laughs> there is no twist no, in this There's movie. no twist at all. It's just the guy we've been seeing. <laughs> the, the twist is it's the killer. The killer <laughs> is the killer. <laughs> It had to be someone from the movie, and it was the killer. It sounds like Amy is getting left alone tonight. Diane, her sister, has a sleepover, and Nancy has a date with Elliot. Amy admits to Nancy that she saw the man again, and Nancy, as a good friend should, immediately offers to cancel her plans with Elliot. Amy says, well, I gotta take my sister to this sleepover, but if, you, if you're if you cool to hang out, I'll, I'll be back in a minute, and uh, I appreciate you staying with me tonight. Nancy moves to clean up the table, and stands in the kitchen for a moment where a rack of five knives hang on the wall. Amy and her sister leave, but she hears a knock at the door, and she assumes it's Amy coming back because she forgot something. But there's nobody at the front door. And by the time she gets back to the kitchen, one of the hanging knives is missing. Because apparently this guy doesn't have that knife anymore. Yeah. Right. Because <laughs> we just use whatever's convenient. Yeah, it's like MacGyver. You just use what you find along the way. Yeah. <laughs> what was he using to kill Joyce and the professor? Knives. <laughs> Other knives. A speeding car is tailing Amy on the way to her sister's sleepover, and she makes a fast U-turn. The car follows, confirming its nefariousness, and then she does it again, and the car is blocked by other traffic. Moving in closer, we see that this is Gamble, and he continues his pursuit. So he's trying to track her down, but she thinks it's the killer after her, so she's freaking out about it. Which I thought was going to play into a crazy mistaken identity where Gamble was trying to protect her and... She, like, stabs him or shoots him. It's far too thoughtful. Nancy hops into the shower at home. While she's in there, the bathroom door opens slowly. Yeah, and this was crazy. The the shower curtain has, like, a drawstring. Yes. I've I've, never seen that before. Yeah, I I was like, when she's closing the shower curtain, she's reaching behind and doing, like, the hand motions. Really? I was like, what? What? I've never seen that before with a shower curtain. That is weird. It seems needlessly complicated. Yeah, right. (laughs) Nancy rolls a joint later. Uh, uh, she goes through this whole shower without getting attacked or looked at by anyone as far as we know. Other than us, we get we get an eyeful here. Um, apparently, the, the director was very unhappy about the scene being forced in by producers because, for the most part, he just wanted to make a straightforward horror movie. And there's not even really any blood in the movie. Yeah. But he was a little disappointed when they were like, oh, you don't have enough boobs in there. So they made him do an extra scene. Um, it may have saved the movie (laughs) (laughs) Uh, nancy rolls a joint and puts on a record and lays on the living room carpet with her headphones on she removes the headphones a couple times thinking that she heard something and eventually closes her eyes and a man with a knife enters the room and he puts the blade to her neck amy returns from dropping off diane and finds a few goldfish dead on the carpet in the living room and then she turns to see nancy's severed head in the fish tank or what i should say is a cake decorated to look like Nancy's head. It's, it's not, a pretty rough prop. Not a great prop, but 150k. What are you gonna do? And I was just thinking, like, you know, it would be great. Why don't you just have a false bottom fish tank and just have her have stick her, her actually just stick that? her head up there for a second? Yeah, that I would mean, that would just, probably have required more money than this crappy prop. Mm. Yeah, they would just uh, like they would put her head up and then she would put a hose in her mouth. Mm-hmm. And then she would have to hold her breath while they filled the tank. Like she she's breathing through a hose while they mm-hmm. while they fill the tank. And they pull the hose out for a second while she's playing dead. Mm-hmm. And then she... Because like how long is that shot of the, the zoom in shot? Maybe four or five seconds? Maybe not even. It just feels long because they're holding on it. Yeah, I probably should have just been her head. Or how much could it have cost to actually cut her head off? <laughs> it's like the movie effects <laughs> for no reason. They just cut off this one actress's head. She turns to run and crashes into the killer here in her living room. He follows her to the car and they struggle for a bit before she peels out. 
moving fast down the road, he suddenly climbs down onto the windshield from the roof of her car. Like she didn't notice he was up there this whole time. Yeah. And then he's trying to stab through her windshield with a big rubber knife that's just bending when it hits the glass. Yeah. And when she gets in the car, he doesn't make any, because in this scene, he punches through the window. Right. To get to her. It's like, but when she was in the car fumbling for the keys, all he did was grab the car and just rock it back and yeah. forth like he's protesting. <laughs> like she was just going to fall out of it. <laughs> she shakes him off on the side of the road and then runs to the morgue nearby where Marvin works. I am I think this is where she was driving. Like she intended to get to Marvin I, I, as quickly I guess, as yeah. Because it, it just seems a little convenient that she is there. Yeah. He doesn't believe what she tells him until he suddenly hears someone else in the building. Marvin takes a big piece of wood and leaves to hunt down the killer. When Gamble finally gets to the house, he finds the head and assumes it's Amy's, so he calls it into the police. And I feel like the call should have gone like, hey, Frank, I fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) I thought I was going to get here before the guy. It seems like I got here right after him. Maybe we should have called her ahead of time or something. Ahead of time. time. (laughs) You'll think that's funny when you get down here. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, then then Frank says, what are you talking about? Or it's not even Frank. It's like the dispatcher when he calls it in. Yeah. And the dispatcher says, oh, Amy? Like uh, Amy so-and-so that's getting married soon? Yeah, she's still alive. So whatever head you have, that's not her head. She uh, she just called from the morgue. She's freaking out. So he's like, all right, I guess I'm going to the morgue. Where's the morgue? <laughs> he doesn't know where the morgue is. He's a cop. At the morgue, exploring for whatever reason... Amy finds Joyce's body as well. I guess Marvin just hadn't gotten around to telling her her other friend's body rolled in earlier. Yeah. Um, it seems weird that he doesn't believe her that there's a killer on the loose <laughs> when she just said that Nancy's head got cut off and Joyce is in here already. And, and assuming the professor. Yeah. Like, I mean, if yeah, if Joyce is here, then the professor must be. And Marianne. <laughs> here on Gilligan's Morgue. <laughs> the killer finds her and chases amy down a corridor these corridors are like miles and miles wrapping around like so they much bigger than be, the building they have to be outside the morgue like it connects to like sewers underneath Steam the place. tunnels i don't know it looks like they're using a, a hadron collider as a <laughs> morgue and so there's these tunnels that go miles underneath somehow gamble's able to find her very quickly though just as the killer is cornering her Gamble shoots the maniac and he falls to the ground and then Gamble starts yelling at her to leave for some reason. Go on, get out of here! <laughs> like, it's just a, a weird thing to say. Yeah, get out of here. Get out of here. Instead of like, are you okay? Like, I can help you. Because saying get out of here means this guy's not dead. I know for sure he's not dead. Mm-hmm. So you need to leave before he hurts you. Instead of keeping a gun trained on the killer the whole time. Yeah, also that I'm police. Yeah. Like, I know I'm just in this sweater but I am actually a police officer. But it's almost like he's trying to keep it a secret that they were ever here. Mm-hmm. So he's just like, get out, quick, go that way, go back that way. We're going to be fine. Get out of here. But then the maniac gets up and they start fighting as soon as she leaves. And the killer just kills Gamble right away. So this whole like cat and mouse thing was stupid because yeah. it's just like, oh, yeah. And then he murdered you. The yeah. end. Yeah, that gamble <laughs> didn't pay off. Hey. No. The killer follows Amy, the killer follows Amy down the corridor and she locks herself in Marvin's office and then backs against the locked door with a window in it. Obviously the killer's hands explode through this window. And Amy grasps a nearby scalpel and just starts stabbing the shit out of the villain's arms. Marvin comes in and he wrestles her away from the door and out of the building and it's super anticlimactic. They walk out of the door of the building and the cops are all outside and they say oh he's in there go get him yeah and we don't see what happens to the killer we don't yeah. see a face off with the police <laughs> it's literally just like a, okay we ran around a corner the end we fade to wedding preparation where it looks like marvin is now the soon-to-be groom and i thought it was gamble who's helping him fix his tie it's a similarly mustachioed man i think it might be i i didn't recognize that when i watched the movie but i in one of the podcast reviews i i was listening to in preparation for this someone was like gamble is there doing his tie and i was like okay so maybe he survived that attack then. Mm-hmm. but uh suddenly we're getting a pov shot in i the- don't if it is him i don't think i would have invited him to my wedding this guy knew there was a killer after me and didn't tell me yeah but he also killed the killer huh or no, he injured he the killer. Oh, no, yeah. Slightly wounded he actually the killer. Didn't. Yeah. He bought you five seconds, though, huh? Mm-hmm. As a wedding gift. Suddenly, we're in a POV shot as someone wanders into the bride's room. 
and we see Phil's POV as she turns around and says, Phil, what are you doing here? And then we crash zoom into her eyes with a scream and the same bulging eyes of the killer. And then we fade to red for the credits under the Carpenter ripoff score. I don't think I've seen fade to red at the end of a movie in a while, but it was cool. Um, I know you guys probably haven't heard the trailer for this one, so I wanted to share the beginning of the trailer to discuss it with you guys. On the night before her wedding, every girl is alone. Joyce. Nancy. Not getting married. Amy. Yes, getting married. Not Tricia. Who's Tricia? <laughs> Joan. Joan? Joan? Debbie. Debbie. <laughs> who are these people? <laughs> the only reason I know who who Trish, Joan, and Debbie are is because it shows them when it's saying their names. The, the other names actually go to the actresses who are playing those parts, but when it says Trish, it's showing the woman in the car from the movie within a movie who oh. is clearly not engaged or about to get married. Yeah. Uh, Joan is Gamble's wife, who doesn't have a name in the movie, what? but... We but know from the trailer that canonically her name is Joan. Okay. And or not wife, obviously fiance. Fiance. And then uh, and then Debbie is the girl who gets stabbed in the movie theater. Okay. So the trailer's implying that they all fit his mo. Yes. And that they were all killed the night before their wedding days. Yeah, that is highly <laughs> not at all what happens. <laughs> so, I just thought that was fun. This movie needed something like something to diffuse the killer, like like they they quick like find father the, the 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 priest they run to the church with marvin and he just has the the preacher perform a quick wedding like he just marries them right he's like oh it's there. too late <laughs> and, and the killer's just like no. Damn it. and he just explodes into ashes oh <laughs> 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 that's weird i was not expecting that to happen director armand mastriani this was his first directing credit he did eight episodes of the friday the 13th tv series he has mostly TV movies since this, but he does have seven titles right now in some state of development um, as a director credit. Writer Scott Parker, his only other IMDb credit was for writing Die Laughing, for which he also shared a story credit with Robbie Benson's father, Jerry Siegel. Don Scardino played Marvin. He's a director on a lot of television, including a couple Aaron Sorkin projects, Sports Night, West Wing. He did 14 Law & Orders. 38 episodes of 30 rock as director uh that's a that's a large chunk of the series uh he did one episode of crazy ex-girlfriend 39 episodes of two broke girls two kimmy schmitz two the connors he also directed the feature the incredible burt wonderstone and he played homer in 1970s homer he was the friendly gay neighbor in cruising earlier this year and he also played a Mater D and Hermit in little cameo appearances on 30 Rock over the course of the series. Caitlin Ohini played Amy Jensen, our bride-to-be. She played Snow White Charming on a sitcom called The Charmings, which was about fairy tale characters being banished through a portal to a house in the San Fernando Valley. Huh. I think it only had one season, but um, I remember looking it up a long time ago because it just sounded like a ridiculous premise for a yeah, show. It sounds vaguely familiar. I don't think I ever watched it, but yeah. I, I remember it being on. Louis Arlt played Detective Len Gamble. He was a writer for soap operas mostly. Uh, he did 101 episodes of a show called Loving, 16 episodes of General Hospital, 15 Another Worlds, and five One Life to Lives. James Rebhorn was Professor Carl Mason. He's Albert Nimzicki in independence day he's dr kaplan liz's dentist on 30 rock he's dr larry banks in meet the parents and he's mr mcflemp on the adventures of pete and pete tom hanks played elliot you know him he's in forrest gump apollo 13 philadelphia big the burbs the money pit saving private ryan castaway show and, versus the volcano and he was just hanksing it up yeah like, like the, he he didn't feel like he was in a horror film no and he also <laughs> is leaps and bounds ahead of everybody else who's in this yeah in terms of the performance it's just like he came out fully formed he literally didn't have a sag card when he sat down with the director and the director was like this guy was so charming at lunch like we got to use him and they were like oh we can't use that guy he doesn't have a sag card and he's like 
you got to get a, a SAG card then because we have to use this guy. And then he's like, who's he going to play? And he's like, he'll play Elliot. It's like, Elliot's supposed to be like this dreamboat jogger guy. And this guy kind of seems nerdy. And he's like, yeah, I still think he should be in the movie. And they were like, okay, well, that's fine. And then he's like, can we take out the part where we kill him? <laughs> he's like, why do you want to not kill him? And he's like, because he's so nice. <laughs> he's such a cool guy. I'm curious where, would he would we've gotten killed at the carnival maybe? I don't know where he would have died, but that's why I was considering getting the copy of the script. It's selling for like 400 euros online. <laughs> it's the only way you could buy the original draft of the script. But I'm very curious to hear what his death scene would have involved. Uh, Dana Barron played Diane or Diana, depending on if you trust IMDb, which I tend not to. This was her first film, and her second was three years later when she played Audrey in National Lampoon's Vacation. One of the Audreys. That's right. Uh, yeah, because they switch out the kids all the time. Uh, she came back to the series as Audrey in Christmas Vacation 2, Cousin Eddie's Island Adventure, <laughs> which sounds awful. Uh, in 2010, she was in a movie called The Invited, which is funny because this was originally called The Uninvited. Nikki Witt on Beverly Hills 90210. I think that was a second season character. And she was also in an episode of Leverage from season five. So oh, we'll okay. leave that up to you to decide. Uh, Joseph Leon played Ralph the Taylor. He was Julie Raskin earlier this year in Just Tell Me What You Want. And he's Byron Leibowitz in Shaft. Paul Gleason was Detective Frank Daly. He's obviously Richard Vernon in The Breakfast Club. And he reprised that role for Not Another Teen Movie. And he plays Dwayne T. Robinson in Die Hard. I think that's one of the cops outside. Yeah. Just trying to figure the, out. Uh, I guess like the, I don't want to say captain, but he's the one who keeps trying to dismiss Reginald Val Johnson's right. like, claims of that this guy's a cop. I yeah. He knows what he's doing. Uh, John Bottoms was Father McKenna. He played a mortician in The Long Riders earlier this year. He also played Virgil Earp in Doc in 1971, which is about Doc Holliday, and stars Stacey Keach, his Long Rider co-star, as Doc Holliday. Russell Todd was the boy in car. He plays Scott in Friday the 13th Part 2 and Rick Stanton in Chopping Mall. But uh, his death in Friday the 13th Part 2 is not completely dissimilar from how he dies in the movie within a movie here. Dorian Lapinto was Gamble's bride, who we know is Joan. Uh, she played Barbara Mack, Alex Mack's mom, in 76 yeah. episodes of Secret World of <laughs> Alex Mack. I was very nice. excited about that. She's wonderful. But that's uh, she's chronologically the first kill in this movie, um, even though we see someone die before we see her death. Um, what do you think about this one, Jess? Meh. It was not great. I think the, the funnest moment is the head in the fish tank. Yeah, like, but the head looks so no, bad. I agree, and that's that's part of the points I'm taking away from it. Obviously, everything Tom Hanks does is magical because he, he can't do wrong. Yeah. But the fish on the carpet and then cutting to the head in the tank, for me, was the coolest part of this movie. And that it gets flubbed Yeah. is is sad. Yeah. It's disheartening. Yeah. I would say that it's it's probably a down for me. Yeah, it's it's a down for me. I would never recommend this to anyone. Richard? Uh, it's definitely uh, a down. Like, I I liked it better than some of the other, like, bad horror films that we've watched. Yeah, that's because you don't see anybody die. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's true. You don't really see anybody die. Well, uh, Ralph gets it pretty I bad. mean, the girl at the beginning, you see it go through the chair, but you yeah. you see the You're gest- seeing a chair get stabbed. You see the chair yeah, get yeah, stabbed, yeah. right? Right, yeah, exactly. And then... We don't see the girl die in in bed with the professor. Right, she's she dies off camera. Yeah, we we don't. And so see does the, Nancy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you just don't see the kills. Yeah, uh, I wanted to bring up uh, one thing though. One of the producers, uh, Edgar Lansbury. Okay. Uh, younger brother of Angela Lansbury. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Uh, and so you know, I I uh, I, I was gonna make some kind of weird joke about jessica fletcher's younger brother murder mystery thing, but yeah but uh, i just thought that was an interesting bit of trivia that yeah that um, is that uh her brother is a producer nice i, I so saw it's murder he wrote ah. bar, bar, bar. he's not the writer and i guess father-in-law of <laughs> ali sheedy it says father-in-law of ali sheedy so so who's ali sheedy's husband yeah somebody somebody lansbury right 
Is she Allie Lansbury now? David Lansbury divorced in 2009. And Ali Sheedy was in a movie with Detective Frank. What's his name? Uh, yeah, exactly. There you go. D- Detective Frank Daly was in a movie with Ali Sheedy about a club that had breakfast. I'm not going to acknowledge your weirdness. No. I know you won't. That's why I love you. Um, yeah, I think they were kind of going for a Carpenter-esque, like, you know, all the kills happen off camera or out of sight and that your, your brain is having to fill in the gaps because it makes it more terrifying. But, and again, I haven't seen Halloween, so I don't know. But I've seen John Carpenter movies and I know that he's very funny even when he's making scary movies that he tries to make them funny in a lot of places. And I don't think this movie gets across a lot of the comedy except when Tom Hanks is on screen. Yeah. Nobody's making any jokes and when they are, they're jokes that don't really make sense so all the laughter is forced. Yeah, I think that this movie just, there was no suspense to it either. Right, because you see the killer's we immediately face the whole time. show everybody what's going on the whole time. Yeah. So it's really just not super scary in that respect. And it's not super scary in that it's not like we have a bunch of gory kills. And so I think that the, the two options that you have for a horror movie are lost here. The best thing you can hope for as a twist is that this killer is like, the father or brother or relative of someone else in the story and when it turns out he's a completely unrelated person who's actually just killing random people as often as he runs into them then it the whole motive is thrown out and and i don't care why he's killing people because it doesn't make sense right so even the backstory that you've set up has been thrown out the window because he's just killing random people yeah I i would have liked to have been able to have the option of suspecting some people like yeah. one of her friends is jealous because maybe she used to date Phil or Marvin is jealous and keeps trying to convince her not to marry. So you question him, mm-hmm. you know, g- give us, give us something, but just a flat out. No. Oh, there's just a crazy guy. Yeah. Um, and, and the only connection he has is to the cop that's tracking him down mm-hmm. personally. And the cop who's actually tracking him down ends up never interacting with any of the characters until the last second when he's just totally stupid like he's had three years to plan for this and he fucked it up on his first try i'd watch it again but i wouldn't recommend it to anybody i wouldn't be like oh you should check this one out i don't know it's pretty low on my list if you're a hank's completist maybe there's nothing real interesting about it i wouldn't watch it again if i had a choice yeah uh it's it's really down there for me. What do you it's, got, Letterboxd? It's like, I don't know, 10 or 11 from the bottom. It's underneath the fiendish plot of Dr. Fu Manchu, but above Stunt Rock. Underneath Fu Manchu, wow. That's rough. At least Fu Manchu I find, you know, slightly amusing. There's n- there's nothing there's about this movie it, yeah. like that that's interesting at all i do like tom hanks going you want a goober at the end of a scene yeah <laughs> i'm convinced that he just Ad-libbed. improvised that yeah. for sure what do you think richard where's it going oh i also have it extremely low um maybe even almost exactly as far as 11th um i have it at 95 and this is just below the octagon and just above the happy hooker goes hollywood okay for me it's going considerably higher 18th from the bottom uh which puts it just below how to beat the high cost of living but above the kidnapping of the president so yeah i think that's everything for this one if you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us we are vintage video pod on twitter facebook instagram and letterboxd or as i've said before you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year we can also be found at vintagevideopodcast.com please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show. And if you take the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can also support the show through patreon.com slash vintage video podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing the return of the Secaucus seven, which IMDB describes like so seven former college friends, along with a few new friends gather for a weekend reunion at a summer house in new hampshire to reminisce about the good old days when they got arrested on the way to a protest in washington dc oh my god that sounds so boring can we skip another it small circle of friends. <laughs> yes, yeah this yes. is another perfect no, no slice more small of circles. <laughs> the return of the sakaka seven is of course a sequel to the return of the sakaka six. Oh jesus no that's not true <laughs> it is not the seventh installment um john and the sales re- the return is also not a sequel uh what do you say it's john sales that wrote it uh, or directed? He directed. I'm trying to find if he wrote it. I think he did write and direct. 
We leave you now with the trailer for The Return of the Sakaka 7. Sitting here thumbing through Hustler magazine Looking at the pictures They don't seem obscene to me I'm 21 21 years old and I never had no one I ain't much to look at My brain's kind of slow I dropped out of high school And went to work for Texaco Oh, just a pumping their gas Out by the interstate I'm 21 years old 21 and I ain't never been nowhere I want a girl that I could curl up with and love Oh Lord above, know what I mean I want a girl to want me like I want the girls I've seen in Hustler magazine 